Well, hey, good morning to you, Grace. It's great to see you here in person. It's great to see you on our live stream as well. If you're wondering what worship service to come to, this is the one to come to, our 1045 service. There's lots of room to spread out. And as you guys are here and you're jockeying like for the shade or not shade, we've added two new shade sails. This one right here. And then that, the, the second one back there, the one over the fruitless olive tree there. And so, as you know, the sun moves that way. And so that means the shade is always moving this way. And so you can always jockey for a position. There's like new shade areas up on the front, hint, hint, that you've never used before. And so maybe you can try it out. I don't know. You know, it's nice and nice in the sun. It's nice in the shade. Uh, but would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke? Would you turn in Bibles to the book of Luke? If you're online, I'm hoping you turn in your Bibles as well to the book of Luke. It's Christmas time, and so the book of Luke has the, the story of Jesus' birth. I shouldn't say story. I should say the e events of Jesus' birth. And so does the book of Matthew. And so we're going to be looking at both of those books today, Luke and Matthew. And if you're online, you're thinking, eh, he's just going to throw it on, on the screen so I don't have to find my Bible. No, I'm not. <laughs> I want you to use your Bible. So get up, go to your shelf or wherever it is and, and see if you can dig for it and find your Bible. And I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Luke. There's no shame in using the table of contents. If you're not familiar with your Bible, maybe you're apprehensive to open your Bible this morning because you think uh, people are going to notice that I don't know where things are. Did you know that there's a page in the very front of your Bible called Contents or Table of Contents? And it gives you the page number for every book in the entire Bible. And so if you don't know where Luke is, just look in the table of contents and you can find it. I'd love for you to get to comfortable with reading your own Bible. Um, in Luke chapter 1, we'll read it in just a few minutes. It'll get you some time to find it. We've just launched official Christmas, like legal Christmas. This is like legal Christmas time. So now it is legal for the stores to play Christmas music at all of their, in all their stores. Even though that's happened over the last six months, they've been playing Christmas music. Now it's legal for them to do it. And it's legal for you to put up your Christmas tree now, even though people did that like in September. And it's legal for you to put up your Christmas lights now, even though, even though your neighbors had them up all year, you can now turn them on again. So now it's legal for Christmas. And the title for today's sermon is that Christmas was not an accident. Christmas was not an accident. If there is nothing else that you remember about anything today, and I get it, sometimes I have days like that too, and I forget things about sermons too. If there is nothing else that you remember today, it is, I want you to remember that Christmas was not an accident. I know it looks like just one big oops, you know, one big mistake with all the people and the places and where it is. I want you to know though that it was not a mistake and it was not an accident. We love to hear stories of people making mistakes. We love to hear stories of people doing accidental things because it just makes us feel like, well, at least we're not the only idiot in town. <laughs> at, least, at, least, at least someone else does those kinds of things too. It's not just me. Well, everybody makes mistakes. Your pastor makes mistakes. I got a long list. I could, I could tell stories for days of mistakes that I've made. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one. Uh, when I was uh, when I was younger, my son was like one. So he was newborn, firstborn. And I wanted to make it a day, a day out, a day out with man's day out, okay? Me and my one-year-old. And so we're going to go buy Tanya a Christmas gift. And you know when you go out with the baby, it is like military maneuvers, you know? 
you've got the baby bag, you got the bottle, you got the sippy cup, you got the snacks, you got the stroller, you got to have the baby, you know, you have it all. And so it was man's day out. We're going to go buy a gift for Tanya for Christmas time. So we drive over here to uh, Galleria Tyler, the parking structure, you know, next to Nordstrom, you know, that parking structure there. And so we unload it all, unload the stroller, unload the sippy cup, unload the snacks, unload the bottle, unload the diaper bag, and finally put Caleb inside and we go into the mall. And we're not in there long at all because that's how guys shop. Guys are fast. Boom in, boom out. It's the mall. I mean, how much time can you spend there? But man day at the mall, we came back out, put Caleb in the car, put the stroller in the car, put the diaper bag in the car, put the bottle in the car, put the snacks in the car, put the sippy cup in the car, slam the trunk closed, time to go home, open my door, but my door's locked can't get my door. So I go to the passenger side, the door's locked. Go to Caleb's door, the door's locked. It's only a four-door car. I've already tried three of them, and you know where this is going. Try the last door, and it is locked. I lock myself out of the car with Caleb inside of the car. Now, help a dad out. What am I supposed to do? What are you supposed to do at a, at a time like this? So the first thing that comes to my mind is, I'll call Tanya. <laughs> she can get me out of this. And so I get up my phone, and my phone has no signal in that parking structure. So help a dad out. W what are you supposed to do? Do you leave your kid in the car alone and go in the mall and find somebody, but what's the teenage girl at Retzel Pretzel going to help me with? What's she going to do? And so I'm thinking about what I'm going to do. So I check all my doors again to see if they're unlocked. No, check all the windows, see if I could push them down. No, they're all, they're all windowed. And so then I, what do you do? Do you leave your kid in the car and, and walk down the three flights of stairs to leave the parking structure to get a cell signal? Like what? Help a dad out. What do you do? So I don't know. Caleb's looking at me and I'm looking at him. <laughs> He's like, Daddy, you're supposed to be driving me home. And I'm thinking, I'm supposed to be driving you home. <laughs> like, what do I do? And so I'm going around, I'm checking my doors for another time. I'm talking to Caleb in the car. I'm looking in the window, trying to push the windows down. And this couple, you know, parked somewhere else in the parking structure and walked by. A man and a wife walked by. And they're looking at me like, I think they're thinking like I'm trying to steal the car or something. Like I'm talking to myself, thinking, how can I get in this thing and steal this little car? I said, no, no, I'm not trying to steal the car. I locked my keys in, but my son is in there too. So you guys able to help? Any ideas? And they're like, oh no, oh my goodness. So the first thing they do is they go try all four of my doors to see if they're locked, <laughs> thinking this guy's already an idiot. And so they try it too. And so they're all locked for sure. And so the wife, she goes in to get mall security. That's, that was the first thing on her mind, get mall security. They could come and, I don't know, save the day. And so she comes back out, and here comes mall security about five minutes later in a little uh, golf cart, doo -doo 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 -doo, show up, and the guy gets out and says, hey, how can I help you? And I say, well, I locked my keys in the car, and my son is in the car too. And so as I'm telling this story, another couple is walking by. They're even more, like, excited than the ones before. And like, oh my goodness, we got to get this baby out of this car. So the first thing that they all do is they all check all four of my car doors to see if they're all unlocked. And so now we've had six people check the doors. They're not, they're not unlocked. And Caleb's still looking at me. I'm looking at him. He's not crying. He's sweating. Now, Caleb is a sweater. Okay? He just sweats anywhere. He sweats. And so he's sweating, and I'm looking at him, and he's looking at me. And so I asked the, uh, the, the security guard, the mall security, hey, uh, do you know how to 
shimmy or jimmy or whatever you do to get the, you know, get the door open. And he's like, yeah, I do. Uh, can you do it for me? No. <laughs> can you go get somebody else that can do it for me? No, sorry, sir, we can't do that. Can't do that, so what do I do? <laughs> All six adults are standing around, staring at this car, trying to get the, the, the baby out or me in or something. Uh, one of the guys that showed up, he is unscrewing my, uh, my antenna to my car. He's unscrewing the antenna. I'm like, all right, dude, you do you. You must have a plan. I don't know. And so I, I say, hey, could you just take my phone or take my AAA card and go call AAA, right? I mean, that makes sense. So lady goes off. She calls AAA. Her cell phone works or she goes down and outside and calls AAA. And she comes back and says, okay, no, no worries. It'll be about an hour. An hour? Like Caleb would be out of sweat by that point in time. What's he going to do then, you know? And so, so I said, hey, could you just call the, the non-emergency fire department number? Maybe they have an idea that the six of us goofballs have not figured out yet. So someone else goes away and they call back. They came back and said, okay, yeah, yeah, they're, they're on their way. All the while, the guy that unscrewed my antenna from my car, he's like making origami out of it, you know? He's, he's, he's like turning it into shapes. And so he takes my car, he's done this before. He, you know, the, where, the, where the car door and the roof meet is where there's the weather stripping there. And he shoves my antenna now in like a origami shape, shoves it down inside the car. And I'm like, whoa, this guy has a plan. He's closer to my son than I have been in the last hour. So he's, I, my money's on him now. So he does the wrangle and the dangle and the thing, and then he can't get it. He pulls it back out, does some more shapes, and he puts it back in, and he pops the car door open. Boom! Caleb's free. Everybody, all six of us are cheering about the fact that we got inside this car. But it was just an accident. It was just a series of unfortunate events. It wasn't on purpose. It was just a mistake. I haven't done that again. He's 15 years old, but you got to help a dad out. Maybe I'll lock him in again. I don't know. So you got to help me out. What do I do next time when this happens? Okay? You got to make sure you have some sort of thing to do something with your antenna on your car. So we all make mistakes all the time. When I had graduated from college, I was applying for real jobs. You know how you do that if you graduate from college? Like, okay, I'm not going to get a real job put in my resume. I get a call back like the next day from the secretary who want to meet you. Sweet. And she says, meet here at this place, meet here at this time, but make sure you dress for your interview. That's an odd request, but I'll dress for sure. I'll make sure I'm, cl I'm clothed. Okay. And so I put on the nicest dress pants that I have. I put on my dress shoes. I put on the nice shirt that I took Tanya out to dinner only a couple nights before. I wear the tie that I graduated in. I am ready for this interview. I drive to the interview. I walk in the office. I'm here for my interview. The secretary says, I'm sorry, uh, we can't interview. You're not dressed for your interview. You're supposed to wear a jacket along with all that. I had no idea. It was just a mistake. It was just an accident. A series of unfortunate events. I never got that job. And she said, go home. <laughs> like, I, we're not talking to you. Just a mistake. Everybody makes mistakes. We, we, all, we all make mistakes of all different kinds. Just a series of unfortunate events that get us to a place that we never imagined that we were going to be. When Tanya and I were newly married, we decided that we were going to be adults and we bought our very first piece of furniture which was a recliner you know the, you put your feet up you know rec recliner i figured that's what real adults do they recline all right and so we bought a recliner as our first piece of furniture in our apartment 
and we throw it in the back of our little pickup truck, and Tanya says, you, sh- you want to tie that thing down? And you know where this is already going. You already know where this is going. And I said, woman, who are you to tell a man what to do with his truck? Not quite like that, but something like, don't worry, what's it going to do? Jump out of there. It doesn't have legs or anything. It's fine. Okay. So we get on the freeway, we're driving home, and, you know, it's bumpy as usual. But then you hit one of those bumps that, you know, it's just a little bigger than a normal bump. And I look in my rearview mirror, and all I can see in my rearview mirror is that brand new recliner chair just bouncing down the freeway, end over end down the freeway. I'm like, oh no! And she's like, what? I'm like, look behind. And she can just see the, <laughs> just bouncing. <laughs> 60 miles an hour down the freeway. And oh no, get off of the next exit. So the next exit is like three miles up, get off, come all the way back, get back on, because maybe I'm hoping it kind of slid off to the side and no big deal, just duct tape the thing up again, it's good, you know. And so we get up to about where, where the, we expected it to be, and there was no chair on the side of the road. All we just see was just a big sea of splinters all over the road, just splinters everywhere. It's just it, some big truck, you know, some semi just bam, and it just must have been an exciting blow up of that chair. And we see all those disappointing splinters on the freeway and we just drove home. It's just a mistake. And now we still just have a truck. That's all we have is a truck still today, not the same one, but a different one. And so whenever Tanya says, you sure you don't want to tie that down? I tie it down. It doesn't matter what it is. I just tie, it could be a bag of concrete. If she says it, I just strap it down because I've learned my lessons. Because we all make mistakes. We all, we all do things that are on accident. And I'm sure you have too. You probably haven't made as many dumb mistakes as your pastor has, but I'm sure you've made some, some mistakes. You've probably said some things to somebody that you didn't mean to say. Now you're trying to repair that relationship, or maybe you uh, borrowed money or spent money that you didn't really have, and now you're trying to pay it back, and it's taken forever to try to pay all that money back. Or maybe you just followed GPS to a place that didn't even exist. Just a series of unfortunate events get you to some places that you never thought that you would imagine to be. And when you look at the first Christmas, when you look at the events of Jesus' birth, you get the impression that the location and the timing and all of that of the first Christmas was just one big accident. It was just one big mistake. Now, we know theologically that there are no accidents with God, but As you read this today, you're going to see that the scenario certainly lends itself to the assumption that what happened on Christmas was just one big accident. Maybe you never thought of it that way. That's why I asked you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 1. And this is where we're going to begin this part of the events of Jesus' birth. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. And this is what it says. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now Mary, she is living in Nazareth. This is a little podunk, backwoods, backwater, hick town. And she's living in the backwoods, backwater, hick town. And an angel just shows up to this teenager This teenage girl gets an angel, and this is what the angel says to her in verse 28. Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. 
but she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And so Mary, who's never had sex with a guy ever before, has a few questions. Um, how's this going to work out? What do you mean? What, who is this baby? A lot of questions. You can imagine the questions that you would have. And so ultimately, though, the angel answers all these questions in verse 37. In Luke 1, 37, it says, the angel speaking, for nothing is impossible with God. And so Mary, in verse 20, all right, that's good enough for me. Behold, or look at the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. We can tell here that Mary grew up in a godly home. She had very good parents. Mary had great parents. She had, they had taught their teenagers that God might ask you to do something that is way outside of what you expect, but you follow him because God can do anything. And so we have a teenage girl who, surprise, surprise, actually listened to her parents and did what her parents said. I mean, I know that's amazing. That's hard to believe. But she believed that God could do the impossible. And so she said, I'm going to do it. I'm in. I count me in. I'll, I'll do whatever you say. And so now here we have the, the first events of Jesus' birth. But we know there's another half to this story. There's, there's Joe's side of it. You know, she's engaged to a guy named Joe. And so Joe's story is not here in Luke, it's in Matthew. So would you turn left in your Bible to the book of Matthew chapter 1. That's la left in your Bible, so maybe 15, 20 pages in your Bible. We have Mary who said, I'm in. After a few questions, she said, I'm in because I know that God can do anything. And we have some great parents of Mary. Now the rest of the neighborhood didn't think they were great parents. As a matter of fact, the, the rest of the neighborhood thought they were bad parents because they were going to have a pregnant girl out of wedlock. So the rest of the neighborhood thought they were bad parents, but they were very good parents that taught their daughter well. And so now we get to the other side of the story. The guy that she's engaged to, Joe, in Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. In verse 18 it says, Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. When Jesus' mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to, to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Now, Joe here, Joseph is obviously living in the same town in Nazareth. After all, they're engaged. And he's a really good guy. He's just a good guy guy. The Bible even calls him a righteous man. He's just, he's known in the town as the good one. He's, he's the good, he's the good guy. And he loves this girl so much that even though it is assumed even by him that, that she had cheated on him with another guy, he loved her so much he wanted to protect her from the stereotype of 
of an unwed mother in this town that he wanted to secretly just make it all go away. He loved her a lot in all of this. But then verse 20, but when he had considered this, to just made it, make it all go away quietly, but when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and, and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is the Holy Spirit. Gives a few more instructions, but then go down to verse 24. In verse 24 it says, And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now let's try to pretend for just a minute that we don't know the rest of the story. I know that you already know the rest of the story. But just try to pretend just for a minute that you don't. That you're just one of the neighbors. You just happen to be Mary's neighbor or you just happen to be Joseph's neighbor. You're just one of the neighbors. And all of the neighbors in this town, they were sure they knew the entire story of what was going on here. They were sure that Mary had committed what the Bible would call fornication, sex outside of marriage, sex with somebody else. And the assumption was that Joseph was not the biological father. Why? Because he was the good one. He was the right, everyone in town knew that he was the good one. He would never do that. But Mary, oh yeah, she's the type. She's the type. And so they assumed that she had had sex with somebody else. And now that Joe, because he was the good one, he decided that he was going to marry her. He was going to move up the wedding date just to hide it all and to make sure that Mary didn't have the stigma of being an unwed mother. I mean, in these towns, a wedding was the biggest event of the year. And it took an entire year to plan. They, they had a wedding date a year out. And so, oops, she gets pregnant just by accident, and so we've got to move up the wedding date. It all just seems like one big accident, one big mistake. And so what do you, what do you imagine happening next? Just knowing, just knowing you, a couple, you know, a couple gets engaged. The guy doesn't have to marry her, but he loves her, and so he decides to, to move up the wedding date and marry her anyway. And so what do you imagine happening next? There's got to be an engagement party. And so everybody in town would imagine there's going to be an engagement party and mom's going to decorate and, and Joseph's mom is going to, going to cook some really good food and they're going to have this engagement party. They'll take their engagement photos and put them up on Facebook. Then it'll be time for the gender reveal party for the baby. And so they're going to have everybody get around. They're going to light off some blue fireworks and burn down Nazareth. It's just going to be that kind of thing. And then as the baby is growing in mom, then finally it's going to be time to have all those OBGYN appointments and finally the day is going to come when they're going to drive over to Kaiser and Nazareth and Mary's going to be there and Joe's going to be there and Mary's mom is going to be there for some support. They're going to have their baby and they're going to live happily ever after. Right? Like that's the storyline. If we didn't know the rest of the storyline, that's what everybody in town was going to assume that was going to happen next. That's what you would assume that was going to happen next. But you know the rest of the story. That's not what happens next. Turn in your Bibles back to the book of Luke. Back to the book of Luke chapter 2 this time. Luke 
Luke chapter 2 has the rest of the story. In Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, it says, Now, in those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census should be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. So Caesar Augustus is this pagan king, and he decides, I'm going to count heads just so that I can tax everybody better. <laughs> it's a benefit to you, I'm going to tax you better. I just want to make sure I know where everybody is. I just want to make sure I know where your address is. I just want to make sure I know how many people are in your family, just so I can tax you even better than I've already been taxing you. And so he says, everybody has to go back to wherever their family tree's roots are. Okay? So wherever your ancestors are from, wherever your family is from, you have to go back there. Where, where were Joe's roots? Where was Joseph from? Well, that's what we read in verse 4 of Luke chapter 2. Joseph also went up from Galilee from the city of Nazareth because that's where he and Mary were living and that's where they were planning their engagement parties and the gender reveal and all those things. Went up from the city of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was in the house and of the family of David in order to register along with Mary who was engaged to him and who was with child. So where was Joseph's family from? It wasn't from Nazareth. His family was from Bethlehem, a small little town about five miles south of the big city of Jerusalem. They're five miles south, little small outskirt city. But it wasn't as Hickville as, as Nazareth was. It wasn't as, it was like an upgrade. You know, when Mary and Joseph were going to Bethlehem, it was like, oh yeah, we're, we're going to the big time. Nazareth was podunk. Nazareth was backwoods. Nazareth was ba backwater, but not Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a small town, but it wasn't backwoods like the city that they had come from. So we imagine how this scene kind of goes. You know, we imagine that, you know, Joseph's going to load up, you know, the minivan with all the stuff. And they're thinking, we got we to gotta get back for that OBGYN appointment. We got to get back for the baby reveal party. We got to get back for the baby shower. You know, we, we got to get back for this. So Mary's like, okay, hurry it up. So they throw Mary in the passenger side of the donkey and Joseph walks and, and off they go. Yeah, that's how we imagine it. But there's no donkey anywhere in this story. I mean, I, I, I know that kind of messes up your nativity set that's sitting on your counter right now or I don't know what you have in your front lawn right now, but there's no, there's no donkey in this story. I've read all of the verses about a donkey in the Bible. There's two words that you look up when you're looking for donkey. You look up donkey and you look up a word I'm not going to say at Grace Community Church this morning, okay? And there are about a hundred verses with either one of those two words and neither of them have to do with Mary and Joseph coming to, to Nazareth. Now, Jesus does ride a donkey. About 33 years later, he's going to ride a donkey. But, but I don't think he or Mary is riding a donkey now. But anyway, it continues on. It says, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The place was booked because everybody was told to go to where their family was. And so many times when you grow up in a town, you don't necessarily live there for your entire life. You want to get out of there. I don't want to live here anymore. I don't like the way where my parents live. I don't like that place. I don't want to get out of there, you know? I'm, you probably don't live in the same city that you grew up in. Most people don't. 
And so Joe left Bethlehem for some reason, or his ancestor did. Maybe they went off to college. I don't know what the whole story was. But everybody's coming back to town because of the census. And so there's not enough room for everybody to stay. And so Mary and Joseph show up, and there's no room. Oops, there's no room. Didn't make reservations. Just an accident, just another mistake along the way. And Mary's thinking, man, we better get, we got to get back. My mom needs to be there. My mom is going to give me grief for the rest of my life if I'm not, if she's not there for that, for that birth. We got to have the, we got to have a shower. We don't, we don't have a, we don't have a, a stroller. And then all of a sudden, oops, <laughs> here comes the baby. Hurry, we got to find a place, Joe. And so Joe finds the next best spot going all the way back 2,000 years to the second century the, the understanding was that they went to stable caves. There were, there were caves in all the hills around there, and those caves are used for storing things. And so some people had caves for storing their livestock when they weren't out grazing in the field. Some people used those caves for burial caves to bury uh, their dead. And so Joe had two options, either a cave with uh, sheep and cows or a cave with dead people. <laughs> Which one do I pick? <laughs> he, picked, he picked the one with the animals. There you go. And so that's where they decided to have their baby. And all of this reads like just one big, oops, a series of unfortunate events that nobody planned. You got to move up the wedding because she's pregnant. And then, okay, we got to go travel to get counted for the census, but I'm pregnant and we got to get back. But it, the baby comes at a time when we didn't expect. And all of a sudden it just happens to be born in a cave in Bethlehem. It just reads like one big accident. But I want you to know if there's nothing else that you remember about today, I want you to know that Christmas was not an accident. This was not a mistake. And I want to show you how we know that all this was a mistake. You go all the way back to the prophet, prophet Micah. In Micah chapter 5, written, five, written 800 years before Jesus is born in Bethlehem, and this is what Micah says. But it's for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, and yeah, it was a really small place. From you, one, capital O, one, referring to the Messiah, will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His, his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. 800 years before this little oopsie happened in the cave in Bethlehem, God told everyone who was willing to listen to the prophet Micah that it was going to happen hundreds and 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 hundreds of years ahead of time. This is called a prophecy or a prediction. Did the prediction come true? Well, we can know, we can go back to the book of Matthew to know exactly how this prophecy actually was fulfilled. So back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 4. See, we already know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but nobody else knew except for 800 years of prophecy that no one had ever paid attention to <laughs> until it happens. Now look at Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. So this is when the wise men show up, you know, the, 
the three kings that weren't really three of them. We'll get to that in a few weeks. But they show up looking for Jesus. And so they go to King Herod. They figure, hey, one king must know where the other king is. And so verse 4, gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, all the churchy people in the group, and he inquired, where's the Messiah to be born? And they searched through all of their, they searched through all of their Old Testament scrolls. They, they, they do Google search for Messiah. They do a Google search for where's he going to be born. They do a, a Google search for uh, towns locally where the Messiah might be born, question mark. You know, those kind of Google searches. And they, verse 5, they come up with an answer. And they said to him, in Bethlehem, of Judea, for this is what was written by the prophet. And they go all the way back to the old prophet Micah, 800 years before. And in verse 6, it says this, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means the least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Of course, referring to Jesus, the Messiah. And so this prophecy that Micah makes 800 years before, it is that prophecy that the wise men use to know where he is. And they find him easily. It'd be much easier to find a baby in a small little town than in the big one just five miles north in Jerusalem. Imagine trying to find a baby in a huge city of Jerusalem, but it was not very hard in a small city of Bethlehem. And, and they found him exactly where Micah told them he was going to be. And though Joseph was going to be born in Bethlehem, we, we were told that 800 years, and finally now we see it happen. He was not going to be known as a Bethlehemian, or I don't know, how, how would you say it? Bethlehemite? Bethlehemaroni? I, I don't know. I don't know what you call it, but he was not going to be known as someone from Bethlehem. He was going to be called something else. He's going to be known as something different. And that is in Matthew chapter 2, verse 23. In Matthew 2, verse 23, it says, And they came and they lived in a city called Nazareth. And this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, that he shall be called a Nazarene. Jesus was not going to be known as a Bethlehemite. But... That's kind of weird because I was born in San Bernardino, kind of raised in San Bernardino. So I say that's, you know, I grew up in San Bernardino. But nobody's going to say that Jesus grew up in Bethlehem. They're going to say that he grew up in Nazareth, even though he is born in Bethlehem. Now, this is an interesting prophecy in, in uh, Matthew 2, 23. Um, it has confused Christians for the last 2,000 years. And it's because the statement here that it says, through the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene, that we can't find that in the Old Testament. It's not, it's not written in the Old Testament. And so you're like, huh. And the skeptics are like, aha! A contradiction in the Bible. Well, of course, it's not a contradiction because for a contradiction to be a contradiction, you need two items they contradict each other, and of course, it's not in one of them. <laughs> so it's not exactly a contradiction, but what the skeptics say is, aha, Matthew says that this was written in the prophets. This, this was passed down by the prophets, and yet we don't see it anywhere in any prophecy in the Old Testament. How could this be? It must be an incorrect thing. It must be an error. But of course, 
there are some easy explanations for this. One being that, that Matthew could have heard it just as, as being passed down verbally through the prophets. Maybe it was not written down, just passed through verbally. And so Matthew knew it and he wrote it down. Or maybe it was written down and we just don't happen to have the scrolls that we were able to canonize and put in scripture. And so it certainly could have been written down by the prophets. We just don't have the documentation to have it in our, in our scripture today. And so even though the, this Nazarene part was not specifically, at least that we can see, written down in scripture, Old Testament prophets certainly recognize that he was from a place called Nazareth because the word Nazareth comes from a root word, netzer, N-E-T-Z-E-R, netzer. And N-E-T-Z-E-R, that is the word for branch. That's, that's the, the root word there is branch. And if you know your Old Testament, you know that the Old Testament prophets talk about the Messiah being a branch or the branch in Isaiah 11 and Jeremiah 35 and Jeremiah 33 and Zechariah 3 and Zechariah 6 all talk about the Messiah being the branch. But this, this Nazareth, this Nazarene thing, Nazareth is like the podunk, backwoods, backwater, ghetto. Nobody wanted to be from Nazareth. Nobody. It, it, was, it was the hickest of Hickville. You know, um, I don't know if you know this, but in L.A., they call Fontana, Fontucky. Did you know that? Okay, Fontucky. So, Jesus is from Fontucky, okay? Je- Jesus is from the Hickville. Jesus is from where the uneducated, the, the, those who aren't wealthy, those who don't have great jobs, those who have a checkered past, they're from Fontucky. I mean, we, we live in Jerusalem. We are the educated and the wealthy ones, and nothing good can ever come out of, out of Nazareth. And this comes out in a whole lot of different ways in the New Testament. You remember one time when Jesus is going around looking for all of his apostles. He finds the 12, and he goes to Philip, and Philip says, boom, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. And he goes and tells his brother. His brother's name is Nathaniel. He says, hey, Nathaniel, I'm going to go follow the Messiah who is from Nazareth. And this in John is Nathaniel's response. It says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And the obvious answer is nothing good comes from Fontucky. Okay? Nothing good comes from Nazareth. Nothing good comes from the Hickville town. Nothing good comes from there. And the Old Testament prophets talk a lot about how the Messiah is going to be demeaned. He's going to be looked down upon. And maybe one of the most famous places where we see that is in Isaiah 53, where it says, He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, like they don't want to be around him. That's what that means. Don't want to be around him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Yeah, because the dude is from Fontucky. Because he's from Nazareth. 
That's why all of this is happening. If last week's sermon was about the prophecies, the prediction of the people in Jesus' life, then today is the prophecies of the places in Jesus' life. 800 years ahead of time. The prophet Micah says he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And sure enough, that's exactly what happens. It's proven through Herod. It's proven through the wise men. It's proven through many other things that we're still going to look at in the future. And then the prophets say, but he's not going to be known as a Bethlehemian. He's going to be known as a Fontuckian. He's going to be known as a Nazarite, a hick. Now, all of this looks like one (laughs) giant mistake. But none of this was a mistake. None of this was on accident. God wanted Jesus to be born in Nazareth. God wanted that to happen. And he allowed his will to occur, even though it looks like to you that, that it was on accident. It was not. Nobody can ever say that Jesus didn't know what it was like to be poor. Nobody can ever say that that Jesus doesn't know what it's like to be from a family with a bad reputation. Nobody. Because Jesus was poor. He grew up poor. He was from from that family. Because the assumption continued until he was an adult that he was not Joe's biological son, but he was some illegitimate son of Mary and an unknown man. And so... Nobody can ever say that Jesus does not know what it's like to be poor or what it's like to be from a family that has that reputation. None of this was a mistake. None of this was on accident. God knew exactly what he was doing. Now, if God would have called me and asked me how it should have happened, I would have told God to do it a little differently. Now, if God called me and said, how should we have the Messiah, Jesus, the Savior of the world, come, I would have told God something. I would have said, hey, we should treat him like royalty. He needs to be born into a family of influencers. That's what we call them today, influencers, you know. Lots of money, lots of wealth, big celebration. When he's born, everybody knows, social media knows, TMZ knows, CNN knows, everybody knows. Televised around the world. If I was going to do it, that's the way it would have been for me. And then I would have said, okay, once he grows up in, in royalty, once he grows up with money, once he grows up with all of the best things of life, then he's going to walk around having credibility because of social media. He's going to go around telling everybody exactly how to get saved, exactly how to get to heaven. And it's going to be no graffiti. <laughs> Don't graffiti. No loud parties around Nathan's house after 10 p.m., and move out of the way when Nathan's car is coming, okay? If you do those three things, you make it to heaven. Aren't you glad God didn't ask me? Yeah, that, that's the way I would have told God how to do it. But he didn't ask me, and he didn't ask you for that matter. And none of the circumstances of Jesus' birth makes sense to us. It looks just like a series of unfortunate oopsies and okay and adjust and okay and uh uh-oh, here it comes. But none of this was a surprise to God. None of this was an accident. None of this was a mistake. It was all on purpose so that he could fulfill 
the predictions that were made hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ahead of time. Nobody could have worked out all those details, but God did. So that every single prediction exactly came true. We call that fulfilled prophecy. It all came true. It all happened exactly as it was prophesied or predicted. Now, you might not care much about Christmas. Christmas might be like a complete side thing to you because you've had a series of unfortunate things happen to you and it has wreaked havoc in your life. Difficulties, problems, struggles. And through a series of unfortunate events, now you find yourself in situations that you would never thought you would have been in. And now here we are at the holiday times, at Christmas time, and this merely highlight, highlights uh, all of the problems. You know, the holidays have a way of highlighting family drama or family issues. Maybe you have kids that are, that are grown up and they are living some other life that you never thought that you imagined. They, let's just say they aren't marrying Joseph. <laughs> They didn't listen to their parents and now they're doing some crazy things and you're grieving over it. Or maybe you're having struggles in your marriage and you don't even feel like you're married. Or maybe you're alone because of a divorce or alone because your spouse went to heaven this last year. Or maybe you're underemployed because of the pandemic or unemployed because of the pandemic. And now all of a sudden you're stressed out and Christmas is like, completely on the back burner, but Christmas just highlights the difficulties that you're in. And if that's the way you feel, you're not alone. And I want you to know this, that none of this surprises God. None of it is a mistake. None of it is an accident. It's not accidental that you're experiencing these things. I just read in the news this morning I always read the news before I come to church on Sunday morning because I know there are things on your mind and I need to make sure that I know what's on your mind. And so I just want to make sure I didn't miss something big over the weekend. And so I read the news before I come to church on Sunday. And I read in the news this, this morning that Japan just announced suicide numbers for their country. And this morning they announced that there were more suicides in this last month in Japan than there were deaths from COVID. And the United States hasn't put out numbers like that. But I, I would suspect that the numbers are similar here. And the reason that the article said that that was occurring was because people were so stressed out that there were people who were working full-time jobs that were able to provide for a home before. Now in Japan, they can't even afford a one-bedroom apartment. And so maybe you find yourself in a situation like that too and you're frustrated and you're burned out and you're tired of all of whatever it is for you. And I want you to know that none of this is an accident. None of this is a mistake. For some reason, God has allowed these things to occur. And you might ask, well, pastor, why would God allow these things bad things to happen to me. Why? Why? And that's where I would have to tell you, I have no idea. I don't know. But none of it is, is a surprise to God. None of this is an accident to God. It might look like it to us. It might look, look like a series of unfortunate events that have gotten us in the last seven months to a, a place of despair 
but this is not a surprise to God. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you don't know that you're going to heaven, maybe the reason that God has allowed these things is so that you would consider him instead of your own stuff, instead of your own world that you've been swimming in for the last seven months, maybe you would actually consider him. Maybe that's the reason. I don't know. You know, when Jesus came to earth, he came as God. He is God in the flesh. We, we have a, a triune God. We have God the Father, who is spirit. It's in heaven, no body. We have God the Son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth in the flesh, body, baby, in, in the womb of Mary, and then born in the stable cave in Bethlehem. So that is Jesus. And then we have God the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus comes out of heaven, and he lives a perfect life. He never sins one time. He never disobeys his mom like you did when you were young. He never gets himself locked into a car, never makes mistakes, always shows up to the right place at the right time, never sins one time. And so when he goes to the cross, he's not dying for, for his own sin. He's dying for mine, and he dies for years. Three days later, he rises from the grave, even proving to the skeptics that he really is God. I mean, nobody else can do that. So he proves to the skeptics that he's God, that he can wash away sin, the thing that he promised to do. That is, that is, the, that is what, what the story of Christmas is. And maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you think these things are just good stories, they're interesting things to tell my kids, but maybe you've never believed them to be true. But Jesus came to die on the cross for your sin. That's good news because the Bible says that we're separated from God because of our sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The result of your sin, of doing something you shouldn't do, is death. Separation from God forever in a place called hell. But God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. But everybody is headed to hell because of their sin. The Bible says all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We've all done it on our own. We can all admit that. Now you'd say, but I'm not as bad as the person next to me. Yeah, that dude's pretty bad. Or she is, whichever one it is. They are bad. Probably not even, they're probably even worse than you. But God's standard is perfection. God's standard is righteousness. God's standard is holiness. And so since we can't attain that, Jesus comes and he dies in our place. It is righteousness on the cross. Perfection with his blood pouring out for our sin. And as he rises from the grave, he offers this thing called, called forgiveness. Our sins being washed away. And so if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, maybe the reason that you're going through the difficulties you are is so that you can consider these things unlike you ever have before. Now, I'm not promising you that if you put your faith in Jesus, you, be, you, you get born again. That's what the Bible calls it, born in this new family of God. I'm not promising you that your job is going to come back, that you're going to get paid more money, that it's going to solve the issue with your, with your spouse. I'm not going to promise you that it will... It will make your kids come back. It's not going to keep you from getting COVID. It's not going to do any of those things. But when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have the hope of eternity in heaven, eternity with God forever, as opposed to eternity in hell forever. Now that's pretty good news. And so that's what Jesus is when he comes and is born. He's God in the flesh. And you're like, but I'm a Christian. Why would these bad things be happening to me? I've already put my faith and trust in you. Why would these things be happening to me? I don't know. I do not know. But none of it is a mistake. 
If God can orchestrate the birth of one baby in a small little town from eternity past to make it happen on one particular day that was predicted in eternity past, he knows about what's going on in your life too. And I don't know why it's occurring in in your life. Ultimately, your life is purposed to glorify God. And so maybe this is a time for you to deepen your faith in him. Maybe you've kind of kind of grown away. You've kind of gotten so distracted by what's been happening in the last year in our country. And you're, you've gotten all wrapped up into COVID and the elections and all this stuff. And you've forgotten Christ. You've forgotten to deepen your roots in the things of him. Maybe the things that are happening to you right now are maybe the very thing that God wants you to deepen your roots in him. Pray more. Read, read God's word more. Surround yourself with other Christians so that they can encourage you and pray for you and help you live your life honoring to, to Jesus. Maybe, maybe these things are happening so you can deepen your roots, trust God more, pray like breathing, the Bible says. Maybe that's why. I don't know. But all of it is not a mistake. That's the point. All of it is not a mistake. It's not a surprise to God even though it's a surprise to us. And even though we wouldn't have it happen in our lives this way, to God, it is not a mistake. It's him working in our lives. Now, maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. And today could be the day that you do that. And if you're here with us, you don't need to say anything out loud. You don't need to come and talk to me if you're online. You don't need to say anything else to someone in your room. You can talk to God quietly in your own heart. God knows what's on your mind. He... he he, he knows what you imagine. He knows your intentions, even without saying them out loud. And so you can talk to God about this. You can put your faith and trust in Jesus today. You can have the, the guarantee, the gift of salvation today. You get a Christmas gift a month early. That's not fair, but God does it for us anyway. And so I'm going to ask all of you here to bow your heads and close your eyes. That just creates a little separation between you and the person next to you for just a minute. If you're online, you can just talk to God in the quietness of your own heart. But if you're here, you don't need to say anything to me. You just talk to him just in your mind, quietly. You say, dear God, I know that I've sinned. I know that I need a savior. I know that this sin has an eternal result that I don't want to pay in hell. And so I, I believe that I believe that Jesus is the Savior. I believe that he was born as God and he lived as God and died as God. I believe that he lived a perfect life and so when he was dying on the cross, he was not paying for his sin. I believe that he was dying for my sin. He was paying the, the price of justice for my sin. And I believe, even what happened three days later, I believe that Jesus rose from the grave, proving to me that he really was God and he can wash away my sin. And so I put my faith and my trust in this Jesus. I put my, my eternity in the hands of, of this Jesus. And with your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, the immediate promise is that God the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. It's the gift that is given to you to help you live your life honoring to God. It's a gift that is given to you as a promise. The Bible calls it a seal that the Holy Spirit will take your soul to heaven when you die. That's a great gift. Many of you are already Christians and you already know that you have that promise. But maybe in the last several months, you've kind of just grown distant from deepening your roots in the things of God because of the difficulties that have surrounded you. And maybe these difficulties are the very things that God is using to bring you back to him. 
And so you could say to God, God, I'm sorry, I've kind of wandered a little bit in my intention and attention away from you. I'm s- that's wrong, and I'm sorry. And God, we thank you for what your Bible says. We thank you for the truth that it offers. We thank you for telling us these things even though we don't deserve to be told. And ultimately, we thank you for keeping your promises, even the one about saving us, even the one, us, one about taking us to heaven. So God, we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.